Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. Both of us have just watched episode six of Moon Knight, which we'll discuss at length in the second half of today's show, but I will say in advance, Variety is reporting that on Monday this week, Marvel's official Twitter page shared the trailer for the sixth episode of Moon Knight, referring to it as the epic series finale. But later that same day, Aaron, this version of the trailer was pulled down and replaced with a version that described episode six of Moon Knight as the season finale. I've heard that we're not getting a season two. Like that was the the story like a, a week or so ago. It was just, no, nah, there's, mm-hmm. there's no season two. And at that time I was wondering, are we just not doing well with num- viewership numbers? Is that what's going on? Is Moon Knight as popular, not as popular as I want it to be? And uh, then I started thinking, well, maybe they're just going to put them in a movie and, and we don't need, mm-hmm. same way WandaVision, you know, WandaVision can't be WandaVision anymore. Vision's gone. Wanda's in a different place. It's going to be, a, a, if they go back to series, it can't be exactly WandaVision. It's got to be something a little bit different. So you either have Moon Knight didn't do so well and we're going to ax them out of the MCU already, or mm-hmm. uh, we're just going to use them differently. And we're not really concerned about him showing up in a, a Moon Knight series next. He could be in a movie or who knows? We might team him up with uh, Punisher or someone else, right? And that's all interesting speculation, but I have to say, based on the ending of this episode and then the mid credit scene, I don't see that happening. But again, we don't really want to get into this this early in the show. Uh, we want to save this the second half. We got a lot of news to cover. And speaking of news, the news portion of this week's Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Obviously, the big news of the past week was John Watt's decision to step away from the Fantastic Four. Back in December of 2020, it was announced that the director of Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man Far From Home, and Spider-Man No Way Home, which to date has grossed over $3.9 billion in ticket sales worldwide. And the fan community kind of lost its mind over the idea that Watts was going to be the guy who was writing Herd on the MCU version of Fantastic Four. So what actually happened here? I, well, in one way, it's kind of a repeat of the Scott Derrickson situation. Scott was the director of the original Doctor Strange movie released back in November 2016. December of 2018, it was announced that Derrickson would direct the sequel only to then have Scott step away from the project due to creative differences in January of 2020, which then allowed Sam Raimi to become the director of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Mind you, Derrickson didn't entirely separate himself from the Multiverse of Madness. He's listed in the credits of this Doctor Strange sequel as one of the film's executive producers. Which brings us back to John Watts who, while he's no longer going to be directing Fantastic Four for Marvel Studios, is reportedly going to stay on as one of the film's producers. Well, hold on now. Before we get into... Are we getting into spoiler territory? Because I I got a a, a tweet from Tyler Nelson who wants to avoid spoiler territory, and I've I've got a sounder, a little klaxon horn to tell him to jump ahead by five minutes. Do Do I need to play that now? I think you may need to play that several times. I'm pretty sure we're, we're the next 10 to 15 minutes are, are going to be fairly spoilery. So, all right, Tyler, we'll see you in a little bit, but uh, we're not really getting ready to spoil Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness just yet, right? No, we're, no, we're spoiling other stuff. All right. If anything, we're, we're spoiling a narrow aspect of this film. Okay. So who's now going to direct Marvel Studios reboot of the Fantastic Four? We previously talked about how the Illuminati are featured in Multiverse of Madness. We have Sir Patrick Stewart reprising his role as Professor X from the 20th Century Fox X-Men movie. Though, did you see the info that was out there that it would appear that Stewart is actually playing the Professor X from the animated series in this one, this version? With the hand on the yellow, uh, you know, I don't know if it's carbon fiber mm-hmm. or metal or plastic or whatever mm-hmm. it is, the, the material that the hover chair is made mm-hmm. out of. But just that little glimpse of the hand resting on the yellow mm-hmm. 
And I, my heart fluttered like I just saw my teenage, you know, love or whatever. Like, oh. That's the thing. I, I get the sense with this one, it's going to be a lot of fun and it's going to run in a lot of different directions. But sure. But anyway, all right. So again, we know that uh, Patrick Stewart is playing Professor X. And there was also a lot of discussion of that shot in the trailer, which seemed to show Reed Richards as a member of the council. In fact, I, I think you and I discussed Looking at the shot in the trailer, there was clearly somebody sitting up on the dais there that had that round white symbol that, you know, typically with it. There were, yes, there were three pixels of white mm-hmm. in that otherwise entirely dark, <laughs> shadowy silhouette. And we go, is that three pixels of white? Mm-hmm. That's got to be a four symbol. Is that what we're getting at? Do I have to hit the klaxon again? Well, I think we're entering into klaxon territory because okay. um, here's the thing. Images have now leaked of a scene from the second hour of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness that not only show that Reed Richards is featured in this film, but they also reveal who is playing this character, and that is John Krasinski. And what's kind of interesting about Krasinski is he's not just an actor, he's also a writer-director. He's a guy who wrote and directed the first two installments of A Quiet Place, which has earned to date over $638 million worldwide for Paramount. Which brings us to the interesting behind-the-scenes news about Fantastic Four. Uh, Kraskinski is supposedly very interested in continue on, continuing on as this character in the MCU. But here's the thing. John reportedly wants to direct the movie as well as star in it. And, and there's also been some very serious talk about Kraskinski's wife and frequent co-star, Emily Blunt, coming in to play Sue Storm in the movie. This is the deal that John's management has supposedly laid down for Disney and Marvel. Like, like look, if you want Chris Kinski as Reed Richards, he'll need to direct Fantastic Four as well as start it. Plus, John would also like to bring his wife in uh, to play Reed Richards' wife. Insisting that Emily Blunt be Sue Storm is honestly the least controversial aspect of this ask. You know, I, I mean, as far as Disney's concerned, they previously worked with Emily Blunt on Mary Poppins Returns and the Jungle Cruise, and they flat out love Emily. So it's like they, they would have absolutely no problem with working with her again. Whereas John, they like the fact that the two Quiet Place films, by the way, there's already a prequel to the series in the works that's due in theaters next year, plus a part three, which is slated to come out in 2025. Well, the fact that the Quiet Place movies feature lots of effects and strongly staged action scenes suggests that Krasinski actually has the chops to do an MCU movie. Not until he turns his monsters into rubber bands. If you make them stretchy and it looks really, really good still, I'll say, okay, fair play. Take the helm. Okay. That, I mean, that's all That's all it gets down to. Invisible woman, easy peasy. Mm-hmm. Just delete her out of this shot mm-hmm. and voila, invisible. That's the greatest effect in the mm-hmm. world. Uh, Johnny Storm, set him on fire. Sure, why not? Mm-hmm. That looked e- even okay back in the Chris Evans <gasps> incarnation. Okay. They, mm-hmm. they had the effect decent for that. Mm-hmm. And then the thing, I think, you know, you have to pick your battle on that one. Do you go with a man in suit mm-hmm. or do you go with a, a CG overlay of an actor's performance? And that's where, I mean, you could do a combination of both mm-hmm. where you do a man in suit enhanced with CG. Mm-hmm. May not be a horrible idea. I don't know. But, um, yeah, that that's a tricky character. But it all gets down to Reed. It, and here's the thing. When we got to uh, the first Reed Richards, mm-hmm. he was wearing like a tuxedo and he goes dancing on the floor and he gets all stretchy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. man, I've worn a tuxedo. It don't stretch like that. <laughs> Not that I had stretch and flexing abilities or anything mm-hmm. like that, but I know the fabric was rather, rather rigid, mm-hmm. rather stiff, and you couldn't pull on it and make it stretch for uh, an extra seven meters. So uh, if you can't make your stretchy dude look good film-wise, uh, that, that's the deal-breaker right there for me on the Fantastic Four. As long as Reed looks good, fair play on everything else. Tell me an awesome story. Let's do this. Okay. Okay. I, I Solid reasoning there. Um, now, mind you, in order to honor John's request that he direct as well as star in Fantastic Four, that then means you have to invite John Watts to exit the project, which... Given that John again invite someone to exit, yes, yeah, right. I, you know I gotta have you over in my parties. <laughs> you see that guy over there, Jim? Would you please go invite him to exit the party? <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. Would you please come this way? 
there's a great story they, they tell about P.T. Barnum, where people would go to his museum in New York. It, the problem is people would come and spend the day, and it's like he couldn't sell tickets. You know, the fire marshals, you know, you got to empty the building. And so what Barnum came up with was he put up a sign, you know, to the effect of, this way to the egress, and, you know, it made it look like, you know, oh, there's another exhibit just beyond this door. You know? Sure, and then well, it's the back alley, and you're next there to There we go, the, the, like, the egress, another way to say exit. So I don't know quite how they invited, you know, the, the who, I, I, I got to assume it's Kevin. Sat down, sure, well, I mean, you know, yeah, because this was a delicate situation. Again, the guy has made three billion dollars. You know what? Here, I, I've I've uh, studied up on how to handle a situation like this, mm-hmm. and uh, you, you you sit him down and you go, "Hey, look, John, have you ever heard of Sisyphus? He's a he's a guy that had to roll a boulder uphill for all of eternity. You don't want to be Sisyphus, do you?" <laughs> You've been, you've been pushing that Spider-Man trilogy and you did a great job and you got it to the top of the hill. And then all of a sudden you go, hey, look, Fantastic Four. And what happened? The mountain grew an extra seven kilometers. Keep pushing that ball up the hill, boy. Sisyphus. That's what I'm going to call you. You don't want to be that guy, no? You want to take a break? You want to go on vacation? Sure you do. Here's some two tickets to Tahiti, $10,000 in cash. Well, it's it's so interesting you, you bring up him working on the three Spider-Man films because the other part of this needle that needed to be threaded was Sony very, very, very much wants John to come back and direct a fourth Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland and Zendaya. And so it, sure. and the whole yeah. notion was, okay, we'll let you have him for Fantastic Four, but then he has to come back and do Spider-Man movie for us. Because again, No Way Home is at $1.8 billion at this point. And frankly, if <laughs> if you're looking at the Morbius money, Spider-Man 4 looks like, you know, there you go, ooh, let's, let's move that up in the batting order. But then there was a question of timing of the whole thing. It was crucial that Watts exit Fantastic Four before Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness actually arrived in theaters. In fact, the day you're listening to this phone, May, May 6th. And because once people saw John Krasinski, you know, in this, um, in his. Oh, hold on. I'm sorry. We spoke for over five minutes. I got to do the klaxon again. I'm sorry. Tyler has rejoined us from his journey from the past. He is now with us in the present. Tyler, we're still talking about it. Here's the horn. We'll see you in five minutes. Go. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just I don't want to ruin I, this for I, I, You're about to say something crucial. Go I ahead. will again. Once people see John Krasinski in this film, uh, the Marvel fandom is going to immediately pivot to talking about what this now means for the Fantastic Four. And, you know, if you look at it from Feige's side of the situation, given that Multiverse of Madness isn't expected to do. Spider-Man No Way Home numbers. Uh, the, you know, that that John Watts movie did $260 million in North America on its opening weekend. Whereas Doctor Strange right now, they, they're being kind of conservative. The belief is that it will be the largest grossing film of 2022 to date. Uh, they're looking at an opening weekend of 175 to 200 million. So again, a lot of people will see this movie. A lot of people will be talking about John Krasinski, and it's just the whole notion of, if you're Marvel, wouldn't you want to be able to announce that you'd landed John and his equally talented wife for your reboot of Fantastic Four on the heels of him making his debut as as Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic? That's the sort of publicity you can't buy. And to be able to, you know, say he's directing it, and I know you you like him as a director because you went to go see those A Quiet Place movies, that's double prizes. But this was kind of a controversial decision, not just because they had to sort of, again, in, invite. Controversial? I think this is the easy decision. Well, I mean, it, it's it's the most obvious. You know, uh, the guy that played Cheaty in The Good Place, mm-hmm. I saw someone on Twitter recommend him as Mr. Fantastic. And I was like, wow, he would actually be really brilliant. And there, there are just a lot of really great actors that I think could have been Great. I mean, John Krasinski, he looks like he could be a Mr. Fantastic. And and his wife got the blonde hair, and she looks like she could be the Invisible Woman just fine. And so that's why I think it's the easy choice. They look like him, and they can act like him, and they got a good vision, and he's a good director. I, I see the whole package. It's, it's the easy, obvious, we don't have to think too hard on this one, guys. This is a solid A+. Plus. Well, again. So, so what's the controversy behind the scenes there? What's, what's their... Everyone knows that John Krasinski can direct a successful film. But the question is, can he direct a successful Marvel movie? Which 
it's harder to do than it looks. You just have to, I mean, if, if we could reach out to Sam Raimi or Taika Waititi, who have both in the past couple of months had to do all sorts of reshoots because, you know, the, the, the Marvel way is you, you take your work in progress movie, you put it in front of an audience, you hear what they say about it, and then you come back with lots and lots and lots of notes about right. how it needs to be fixed and tweaked and Sometimes if you think about the original Avengers movie where it's like they're at the premiere and, oh, I thought of a new idea for the end scene. You know, you know, let's go to show the meeting shawarma. This is a very different operation. Now, mind you, if you go to work with Marvel, I mean, you have top talent, you have amazing production facility, you have a huge budget, you have some of the best people in the business working for you, but you have to be ready for the, okay, you finished your movie. That's great. Now let's tell you how you need to change and fix your movie. You know, there's some filmmakers that would kind of balk at that. But I, I, you know, I guess, as I understand it, Feige had the talk with Krasinski about this is how we do movies. Uh, and if you're okay with that, we'll be happy to, to turn Fantastic Four over to you. Now, John, if you're wondering um, why I'm having you sign in blood, there's a story behind that. <laughs> After you've pricked your finger and this is dried, we're going to be visited by someone with a little cloak, a little cape, and he's going to explain some things to you in great, painful detail. It's very important you listen very carefully. Your entire soul depends on it. Now, okay, that's behind the scenes. Out front, to make this smooth from a, a publicity point of view, the story that Marvel Studios is putting out with John Watts' permission is that, look, he spent the past eight years directing, I mean, your Sisyphus story, eight years of directing Spider-Man movies. So, you know, again, it makes sense that John would want to take a break from directing superhero movies for a while. Behind the scenes, he gets to retain his credit, uh, producer credit, on Fantastic Four, which will translate into a nice chunk of change. And John's a team player. He knows how Hollywood works. And the other thing that is being unsaid here that, John Watts may have dodged a bullet in that I, the very thing you were just talking about. Mr. Fantastic is hard to pull right. off and Johnny Storm is hard to pull off, you know, and Ben Grimm is hard to pull off. We don't have to look any further than the 2015 Fantastic Four reboot right. that Fox spent $155 million on, did all sorts of reshoots to try to fix the thing. And it ultimately only sold 165 million worth of tickets in North America. So, so let's stop you know. and ask a really weird question that we haven't never asked of, of this situation. Marvel's doing the exact same thing. They, they get a thing and they go, no, it's not right. Change it. Make it better. Here's your notes. Go do. Go, go, go. We haven't had a bad movie. We've had an average movie. I think is about as bad as a Marvel movie's ever gotten. You know, it's I've mm -hmm. never went boo and spit on the ground as I walk out of a theater. Uh, I go, that was okay. You know, that's, that's about as bad as it's ever been. There are a lot of times where I walk out and go, that was a lot of fun. So why is it that Marvel can say, make changes, make changes, make changes. And we get usually more often than not a better film that we all enjoy. And someone like Fox back then can go make changes, make mm -hmm. changes, make changes. And it turns to crap. I don't honestly know what to tell you there. Do you I mean, think they I, just I don't understand they, the property like Marvel understands their own invention? Like they invented the wheel, they get how it works. That's an interesting insight. I mean, Sony seems to have that problem with Spider-Man. If if they're doing a solo thing, you know, like a Morbius or a Venom, it's, it's you know, some people enjoy it, but critics tend to poo on it. And, uh, but then Spider-Man is the actual Spider-Man property inside the MCU, Marvel has a much heavier hand in what happens in that storyline. And mm -hmm. I, I think mm -hmm. it's their involvement that keeps the Spider-Man films good. Um, because I, I think if Sony were going it alone, uh, well, I mean, just look at the end credit scene that they tacked on for Morbius. You know, they would be doing that kind of crap in the Spider-Man movie. They just don't understand how all the puzzle pieces fit together. So they go, well, what if we make our own corner over here? And it's like, well, it's only four corners in a box, guys. Now we got five corners. I don't know what the hell you're doing with this. Well, how does this even work now? <laughs> We've got five right angles. Good job, guys. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get you know, again. I, I that's kind of why I wanted to lay this out this way. That it, it's it's a complex situation, and and what that involves a certain amount of risk. And, and and in a weird sort of way, John Watts may be the lucky guy. You know, he he gets to walk away from Fantastic Four and take a break and 
he's he's making a a, a thing for I want to say Amazon with with um George Clooney anyway. So it's not like you know oh you know oh I have nothing. Well, I'm to sure do. his next movie is going to be shot in a single room in black and white <laughs> in one take. <laughs> With uh, no dialogue. <laughs> He's just going to go in the opposite direction. It's like, you know, scrubbing yourself clean. The cinematic equivalent of sorbet. All exactly. Right. You, you know, just want cleanser. that. There we go. All right. Well, speaking of Marvel Studios operating as a you know unique operation, also last week we learned that the Marvels, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mania will be switching release dates. So the way this works is Ant-Man 3, which was previously coming out July 28th, 2023, has now moved forward four months to February uh, 17th of next year. And this schedule shift was supposedly brought about because Marvel Studios execs wanted a little more time to tweak the Marvels. And I'm not saying that to say that the film's in trouble, that everyone at the studio seems happy with the footage that they've seen so far of this Nia DaCosta film. But Marvel being Marvel and this being the feature film debut of Aman Vellani's Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel character, also the, the feature film debut of Tionia Paris's Monica Rambeau character, just the feeling in house is this follow-up to 2019's Captain Marvel is going to need a little extra TLC just to make sure that all three of these female Marvel superheroes each get the time in the spotlight they deserve. But it's also worth noting here that this is not a studio showing the lack of confidence in, in the Marvels. I mean, if anything, moving it to July of 2023, Aaron, that's right in the middle of summer blockbuster season. If anything, that suggests that Marvel thinks the box office prospects for this all-female superhero film are really, really high. But just today, this amazing bit of news broke about Ms. Marvel, the limited series that Iman uh, Vellani's uh, Kamala Khan character is going to mm -hmm. debut in. It's, again, still on track to make its debut on Disney Plus on June 8th. But today, again, this is a really amazing piece of news about this six-episode series, uh, which is going to take place next month in Pakistan. Disney Plus isn't currently available for streaming in Pakistan. But the idea that there's now a limited series of Marvel Studios that's built around a superhero of Muslim Pakistani descent is considered a real cause for celebration in that country, which is why Ms. Marvel is going to be released theatrically in Pakistan. Oh, wow. Yeah. The first two episodes are going to be released to theaters as a one feature-length presentation on on June 16th, which is the day after episode two becomes available on Disney Plus here in the States. And then they'll follow that pattern going forward. Every two weeks, they'll cobble two of the episodes together into a new theatrical release. So three and four are, will be out in theaters in Pakistan on June 30th. And then find the final two episodes is a limited series on July 14th, which I think it's really, really cool. Oh, it's beyond cool. It almost reminds me of ye olden day, uh, like the serials that came before uh, a main attraction. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I like that they're doing it with with full episodes and combining mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But, like, they haven't, they haven't done that before. It's, it's something new. Mm -hmm. And it might get them thinking in a creative way of like, let's see, what, what, is, what does Disney have? Like, how many different properties do they have? And, and if there's one that fits specifically or how many that Fox has, uh, for that mm -hmm. matter, or any Lucasfilm, anything that fits for the target demographic, what if we put a Marvel one shot in front of that movie? Oh. And we do uh, every month there's a new Marvel one shot in theaters only in front of these Disney or Fox or Lucasfilm films, and just the way Roger Rabbit was a, a you know a used like the little short cartoons were used in mm -hmm. some of the movies later on to help get people in the theater for that special mm -hmm. family day. Yep. Start doing that with Marvel characters. Create a five to ten minute special episode that you can only see in theaters, and it will help get people to go. I, I got to go to the theater. It's not just because there's a great movie playing. It's the month's almost over, and I haven't seen the new Marvel one-shot yet. I want to know what's happening before I go into next month. 
Okay, Mr. Feige, and we know you listen. Remember, that <laughs> check goes to Aaron Adams. Uh, just think creatively that's a, that, about that's a different That's a gold thing. idea. Yeah. That's a gold idea. But you're looking now, back at, at the olden days of when they did like the Buck Rogers or whatever, you know, the five-minute mm-hmm. episode before a main attraction. It's just like, look back for inspiration sometimes, and, you, and you'll come up with a brand new idea. Uh, you just got to turn it a little bit and look at it different. Anyway, go ahead. Hey, hey work for George Lucas. Yep. Okay. Um, well, you know, we're obviously with, with Marvel, you know, this is Marvel studios attempting to make the Marvel IP appeal to teenage girls. And, but again, you gotta remember, you know, they work for Disney, which has that cradle to grave attitude that you gotta hit all demographics. So sure. brings us to Marvel's Spidey and his amazing friends, uh, animated series debuted, on Disney Junior and Disney Plus last year uh, has been picked up for season two. Uh, what's kind of interesting is they're bringing Iron Man, Tony Stark, into the show. John Stamos, who totally coincidentally <laughs> uh, has a three-year-old son who sure. watches Disney Junior. Uh, you know, they, they persuaded him to come voice Tony Stark. You know, the reason that they're doing that is it, they're starting fresh. These are, remember, like you said, cradle to grave. So mm-hmm. we're starting at Cradle once again, and they go, yeah, well, we need a brand new Tony Stark for them to fall in love with, so when we kill him, they'll cry. <laughs> so, John, you uh, you make these little rugrats fall in love with you, because we're going to off you. <laughs> and we want tears. Oh, tears equals a- money. So. <laughs> in a very special episode of Marvel's Spidey and His Amazing Friends. Yep. By the way, uh, Tony Stark is not the only uh, member of the movie MCU who's coming on to the show. Uh, they've all, they're also bringing Ant-Man and the Wasp in this season. Likewise, a couple of classic Spider-Man villains, Reptile, Black Cat, Sandman, and Electro. So okay. don't know if we'll see Steven or, or Mark from Moon Knight turn up on Spidey and his amazing friends anytime soon. But I, again, I'm very hopeful we'll get a season two of that series, which we'll discuss on the second half of today's show. Before we get to the Moon Knight talk, a couple of other Disney Plus things we need to get out of the way. Echo, that spinoff of Marvel Studios' Hawkeye limited series, has begun shooting. Production officially got underway on April 29th, and the star of the show, Aquila Cox, recently welcomed Reservoir Dogs star uh, Denvery Jacobs to the cast. Really looking forward to this one. I, mind you, I, I would also like to see continuation of Hawkeye. While we're talking about stuff for Disney+, Plus, folks who were in Hollywood late last month particularly those who were went to go check out the Walk of Fame on Hollywood Boulevard, had kind of a surprise. They got to see David Batista and Palm Clementif. They got to see those two stars of the Guardians film strolling down Hollywood Boulevard in full Drax and Mantis garb. You know, the funny thing is, they were the most normal-looking people on the street that day. Well, no, see, that's the gag. You know, in fact, you know, that's pretty much what uh, James Gunn is going for with the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. In fact, the giveaway was that they had decked the TCL Chinese theater in holiday decorations. And and they even managed to fold in as part of the set decoration. They had a poster for what was supposedly playing at the Chinese theater. And it was one of... Kingo's from Eternals uh, Bollywood movies. I, oh, I want to s- okay, cool. Awesome. So, so Haxon's Haxner. I, I, I thought I, it should have been I, like Back to the Future 9. You know how they did the Jaws 10 gag uh, or whatever? That we'll do the Back to the Future 9, like that's still playing or whatever. But uh, yeah. Okay, I like I like Kingo's, you know, one of his <laughs> Bollywood films. Uh, yeah, I, I wish they would actually make one. Hey, that idea I had earlier about the short film in front of a mm-hmm. movie. That's what. That's your first one. Kingo has a, a Bollywood adventure for uh, five or ten minutes. It'll be great. Oh, big oh, musical wow. numbers, very colorful, all choreographed. I love it. Let's do it. Come on, Feige, where are you at, buddy? Now, speaking of of getting to encounter actual Marvel superheroes out in public, of course you can do that every day at uh, Disney California Adventure theme park uh, in the Avengers Campus area. In fact, they. Uh, I want to say on social media, just last night, they released the image that showed the Scarlet Witch arriving on campus, and she did not look happy. 
but someone who looked somewhat more happy, can you share what, what you found online, Aaron? Yeah, and I wish I knew exactly when this photo was taken, but it popped up very recently mm-hmm. on Reddit. But it's uh, Ant-Man, and he's mm-hmm. holding like a, a, I would almost want to just call it some Tupperware, just so you get the mm-hmm. idea that it's a container with a lid, I think is all mm-hmm. you need to know there. And uh, it's clear plastic that you, so you can see inside, and apparently it's a miniature version of Bugs Land that he shrunk down with PIM particles. And we're looking at a photograph right now, but I had seen actual yeah. video. Mm-hmm. And there's a little roller coaster and, and the cars go up and down around the track and there's like a little uh I don't I don't know if it's a Ferris wheel, but like, you know, things are spinning and and mm-hmm. things move inside this very, very tiny shrunk down miniature version of a land. And uh, I just think it's beautiful that it's got all of that that movement in there. And uh, he's walking around just kind of showing people, you know, like, hey, this is here's Bugs Land shrunk down to where the guests are now bug size. And, and <laughs> that's just so neat. I mean, you've got the, the restaurant, right, with the pim particles and the big sandwiches yeah. or whatever. And so to be able to shrink down a land and put it in the palm of his hand, I think that's just so very, very clever. So, yeah, I like well, it. No, no, no. I mean, uh, and and uh, not to belabor the obvious, but when you uh, you know, Bugs Land was the land that got pulled down to make room for Avengers Campus. So that, that oh. now, so, so now, now we know what fact, happened to it. Okay, we know what happened. They shrunk it and they got they'll oh, put it up on the shelf, and they'll go one day if we need to to build a new land, we'll just take that, pop it open, and restore its size. Wow. All right, I I will have to chase down that video. I have to see this. Okay, and uh, we were just talking a moment ago about Guardians. And we we make this joke on every show to the effect of, you know, Aaron and I will stop recording and then Marvel will release a big chunk of news. And I literally last week was, was turning off the mic and saving the file when I got an email that Disney had just released on the ride video from Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, which just makes me crazy but you know did and it you looks great it? Yeah. i did it okay. it looks great i mean it, it it particularly it's footage from the reverse launch that you watch people being thrown forward through a bunch of amazing lighting effects and that sort of thing and really looks cool did you get to see any of the screens that showed a sentinel a giant being from space trying to grab they, the they, thing or what they held that much back oh poppycock but on the other hand this thing is still opening on may 27th and Len supposedly getting into a preview event this weekend and Drew, I think as we're recording, this will be down in Florida attending the Cosmic Ruin press event. So maybe we should have one or maybe both on the show to describe what, you know, what they think it is, right? Okay. So All right. Yeah. Yeah. something yeah. to explore. Yeah. 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 Okay. Now it's time to talk about Moon Knight, which, by the way, Disney clearly has hopes for when it comes to award season. They're including a panel about this limited series as part of their FYC, as in for your consideration event, which is being held for the second year in a row at Hollywood's El Capitan Theater between June 3rd and the 15th. Other Disney-owned or produced shows that are going to be included as part of this press panel thing. Book of Boba Fett and Only Mitters in the Building. And, and remember, at the top of the show, I mentioned that thing about, you know, how Marvel's official Twitter account changed the way episode six of Moon Knight was described from a series finale to a season finale. What's interesting is Variety is now suggesting that that change in wordage could actually cost Moon Knight once award season comes around. As they explain, today's tweet could force the Television Academy to reject Marvel Studios' submission for Moon Knight in the limited series category, which would mean that the show would then be forced into the far more competitive just plain drama category. The way this works is once a network submits a show for award consideration in a specific category, the TV Academy can then reject it and cite uh, things like uh, previous marketing material, uh, social media stories, and, and interviews and the like. So, God, I hope this doesn't trip up. Uh, I really want to see Oscar Isaacs get some recognition for for three different characters. And yes, I said three, well, which we'll get to in a moment, on um, this limited series. But on the other hand, you know, I, I still want a second season of Moon Knight. So let's talk about episode six. What what jumped out at you from this chunk of Moon Knight? 
I was very, very, very close to being tragically disappointed. Mm -hmm. The mid credit scenes saved that. And, and there was so many things that kind of needed to happen. Mm -hmm. We needed to get the, the moon God out of the statue. Mm -hmm. So we know we've got to have that little bit of adventure. We've got to have our hero rejoin as other half, so to speak, mm-hmm. in the desert, and then get them out of the dead world and into the mm-hmm. living world. Usually that will happen simultaneously. Those two stories will will parallel one another. So as the, the moon god is becoming available, the human will be coming back from the death so that they can go and, and do their thing. And then mm-hmm. you got to have a battle with the bad guy. And is it a good battle? Now, here's the thing is like, I, I was like, I don't know if this is very satisfying and mm-hmm. then there were a giant crocodile battling a giant god against the the pyramid of egypt and and then i went what what's going on here now and it, it was like i don't even know if this fits in the mcu anymore this is so wild so crazy so different mm-hmm. that it just felt yeah other it, it felt mm-hmm. separated from the rest of the mcu as we know it mm-hmm. and uh Honestly, Jim, you know how uh, a couple of episodes ago I had mentioned that um, Alex Ross's Marvels was told from the story of perspective of a news reporter mm-hmm. and the, the ground view looking up. So I, I've used that for inspiration. If you don't mind, if you'll just indulge me for a quick second. Certainly. Uh, I've created a, a, a news mag, a, a newspaper uh, called The Weekly Trumpet. Don't ask how I came up with that title. It was a lot of science and research. <laughs> so the headline from this week's uh, uh, Weekly Trumpet <clears throat> Dateline Egypt In the early morning hours of May the 4th, 2022 Residents claim to have seen a 100 meter tall crocodile Dressed as a woman Fighting against another giant that happened to have the head of a bird's skull Eyewitnesses claim that the tussle of these two giants slammed into the Great Pyramid of Giza, causing untold amounts of damage. Are these two taller versions of the new Thanos? Are they small celestials like the one currently frozen in the Indian Ocean, or are they something else entirely? We interviewed head Egyptologist Barry Jeffries at the Museum of Egypt where he said this, Yeah, they kind of look like representations of the moon god and the goddess of justice just kind of duking it out. More to come on your only source for Earth 616 News, The Weekly Trumpet. What do you think? Is that... I, I, oh, I look forward to furthering. I mean, you got giant gods battling against Egypt. What the hell is the news headline going to look the next day, Jim? What's, what's the headline read? Seriously, I, you wrote for a living. What's the headline there? I, 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 I immediately think of, you know, the, the, the travel news section of the... Of the weekly trumpet, you know, the effect of, you know, the, the, stay away you know, from Egypt. Well, you know, the more to the point, it's, you know, well, in the Indian Ocean today, a new island came up the size of a hand and right. a giant head. You know, uh, you know, we put an airport on it and planted a few palm trees on the fingertips. We call them the Finger Lakes. No, wait, that's the place. Oh, there we go. <clears throat> All right. Okay. So, anyway, back to uh, the review. Well, I, I again, I, I what intrigued me, the very thing you were talking about there, that, that, um, we talked on the last show about how you're going to pull these, these, you know, pull this off in 42 minutes. This is the shortest episode to date. Um, that was the other surprise was, there, right? Did you expect a longer episode? Absolutely. Right. But, yeah, but okay. on the other hand, I, I loved at the roadblock where Harrow and his, his folks took out all of the military officials there, but Layla, who had, who'd been hiding in the back of one of the vehicles disguised as, as one of his, his, his minions. Mm-hmm. Passing the bodies that the Tawet <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. would would briefly bring to life. That I, I, Mark says hello. Right, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, It's a guy with a mustache and a goatee and this very effeminate voice saying, hello there, love. Yeah, I mean, uh, really well done. And I, mm-hmm. I, again, that whole bit of Layla agreeing to be a temporary uh, avatar for Tawet. I mean, and by the way, uh, it was worth it alone for that lovely moment where Tawet talked to Layla about her dad. And, mm. oh, yeah, I brought him to the Field of Reeds. He was a lovely right. man. Gosh, you know, I'm, I'm almost thinking that uh, what they're getting in Pakistan for their Miss Marvel thing, where you get mm-hmm. to bundle a couple episodes together and watch it in a theater, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think part of my initial feeling of disappointment was it was a shorter episode than I was predicting, so I'm judging mm-hmm. it based not even on the merits of the content at that point. 
Mm -hmm. right? And then um, the fact that I thought that so many things plot-wise had to happen in that very, very short time span already mm -hmm. put me in a judgment kind mm -hmm. of mood. But if, the, if I were to have been watching this, mm -hmm. binge watching it, rather, mm -hmm. where I'm just oh, plowing yeah. through it, I don't think I would have had any of that judgmental crap on my shoulders because I would have just been enjoying, you know, mm -hmm. four hours of content and uh, not thinking about this is the last episode. I want to feast uh, for, you know, why don't I have an hour and 10 minutes or, or something like that. Right. So I, I think, you know, a lot of my problems are, are just <laughs> my own baggage in my own head of it should have been longer and it should have had, you know, more whatever plot wise or story wise that it was too basic to get A, a to B to C and done. <laughs> I mean, it, it felt abrupt. But but I, I think you, you, you hit upon an excellent point there, that season one is now complete, and people can binge watch it. And right. done like that, this will be a satisfying story. And in fact, there were so many lovely little moments, whether it was when Harrow and Mark and Steven were battling, and he, he turned the scepter on the vehicle, and Layla rescued the people out of the vehicle, and... You know, and the little girl who was going to be crushed by the vehicle, she stopped the vehicle. And the little girl's, are you an Egyptian superhero? And it's like, yes, yes, I am. No, what's her name? What's the character's name? Is it the Hawk of Justice? <laughs> I, I mean, I she's got no wings. Idea. It's got to be a bird-like name. We gotta, yeah. we've got to do some sort of like research and find if there's an Egyptian type of, you know, the Egyptian falcon, the Arabian desert eagle, or whatever. Uh, find find out what what the suitable name is for her character. Give her a proper name. I liked her in the, in the outfit and, mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. getting to do battle side by side and uh, not just being the damsel in distress. Help. He's got me. Save no, me. Save no. me. Right. She's no, there in the thick it. of it. Right. Great. Solid stuff. But in, in a weird sort of way, I love when Stephen and Mark came back from the, the, uh, the world of the dead. I loved how they both settled into controlling the body. In fact, that wonderful negotiation yeah. on, on the dune with with, with to the effect of, you know, first it was Stephen in the full battle outfit, and then suddenly it's Mark in his rather stylish suit. You know, and, well, how is this going to work exactly? No, I think that will is going to be one of the things that will make this character interesting going forward to watch oh, is that these two these two very distinct personalities are now handing off to one another and co coexisting in one body. Mm -hmm. And and so he'll get to play them both instead of just being one. And then he snaps out of it. What happened there? What? Huh? Huh? Mm -hmm. Now, it, now instead of the confusion, he can just have a conversation with himself and it'd be just as entertaining as all heck. I like that. Also, if you remember the way the show ended before our, our mid credit scene, he, they were back in Mark's place with Stephen complaining that, you know, I can't believe you live in this mess. And they go to get up and oh, we're back exactly where we were before. He's, he's chained into bed. And But now how, how that ended, when, when it ended like that and the credits came yeah. up, I was shaking my head going, you better have one hell of a, a credit or, you know, post-credit scene on this one because they haven't had one yet so far. And if they didn't have one at the end of this, oh, Jim, I'd be throwing things right now. I'd be so angry. I'd be, I, oh. I agree. Oh. But, but now the payoff, was it worth it? Now, remember, there was a, a thing. They actually took a moment out in the middle of the battle with, with Harrow yeah. to tease something up here to the effect of it looked like Harrow was actually, you know, Mark was out of the equation. It was Stephen who was battling Harrow. It looked like, you know, it was all going to come to an end. And then, just like in the first episode in the Bavarian village, where suddenly flash forward and their bodies laying everywhere. So, okay. I, so we got to stop here. In episode one, when he was driving yep. the truck and we got the mm -hmm. first jump of that, where, you know, mm -hmm. there's a guy and he's coming and he's in danger and all of a sudden he yep. blacks out and wakes up and he's got a gun in his hand and everything's fine mm -hmm. and he's, you know, on to the next part of the adventure. Mm -hmm. I joked about how breezy it would be to be a writer on that day of mm -hmm. you can write into an impossible situation and then go, how do we get out of it? Who cares? We just black out and come back and every, everyone else is dead and we're fine. And that's all we got to do. So we can write mm -hmm. ourselves into an impossible corner and we don't have to give a crap about how we get out of it. Mm -hmm. So when it ended like that in this one, mm -hmm. I firmly believe in this instance, this finale Mm -hmm. We need to see 
that third personality come into play in a flashback or I don't care how, maybe from the perspective of Layla, who did get to see it happen, where Moon Knight is the most brutal, violent, kill them all in the most efficient, lethal, deadly, oh my God, I'm terrified of you, what kind of monster are you type of way. And then... And it could come after the the reveal that we're getting ready to talk about here as as the post-credit scene. It could come directly after that and be the final button, right? We get introduced to the third personality, then we get introduced into the violent Moon Knight third personality, and holy shit, is it violent. Well, it's interesting you say that, because I feel like the notion of when he came out of that blackout, you had Mark... Yes, Stephen, was that you? Uh, you know, uh, no. You know, and then we literally had Layla. What say? What happened there? Right. And it's like I blacked out. And so you know, we've underlined, circled, and indented those moments, which brings us now. I I hate to breeze by the moment where Stephen and and Mark go back to the. the insane asylum for a moment. And, sure. and it's like, yeah. oh no, this is reality. This is where we're going to be. And then, and then them noticing Harrow's bloody footprint realize, oh, hey, okay, we can opt out. And they did. But yeah, now to get back to the scene where, at, at least initially, when you saw Harrow in the metal hospital in a wheelchair, did you think now, you know, we're back in that same space, that same world? Or what did you think? No, I mean, because of the fact that we hadn't seen Jake. The mm-hmm. fact that during an interview that that Oscar Isaac teased, he could mm-hmm. be possibly playing more than two characters. And you don't say stuff mm-hmm. like that unless you're playing more than two characters. Okay. Um, when we get to the finale, and it's the short mm-hmm. episode, and I'm already very judgmental about it. Mm-hmm. And we get to the, the, uh, the climax, mm-hmm. and we've got him backed in a corner, and he blacks out, and then he mm-hmm. wakes up, and he says, did you do that? No, I didn't do that. Well, it must be a third person. Because that's the only other option, guys. I mean, it was like so obvious that there's going to be a third person that was going to be revealed here in just a moment. So when we get to see Ethan Hawke's character, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if he was sedated or just all beat up or whatever, but uh, Mm -hmm. it it was going to be, okay, now we get to be introduced to whoever did all of the carnage that no one else has met yet. And the only thing that I like about this turn is that when they finally get him into the car and Kanshu is there in the back seat, by the way, he can only turn his head so far. Otherwise his beak clicks against the, the window to his right. <laughs> but uh, he uh, ends up saying that line about, I didn't need his, I didn't need Layla because Mark doesn't understand how deeply damaged and fractured he is. And that was like almost that Twilight Zone cruelty of like, oh, man, he's still a slave to the man Mm -hmm. and he doesn't even realize it. Damn it. And that's where, you know, you feel bad for the main character once again, but you get introduced to this uber violent third one that pulls out the gun, pulls the trigger. And he's speaking. Was he speaking Spanish at that point? I want to say yes. And I I wasn't even really paying attention at that point as to what the words were. It was all the intention of what was going on. And Mm -hmm. uh, I knew I knew we had our cabbie and Mm -hmm. uh, and and to leave it like that, it's like we've got to see more of this guy in the future. How is he going to creep back into the MCU for us is what I want to know now. I guess we are going to have to wait because, you know, and I, I, in fact, I was just checking Variety as we were chatting. The effect of, all right, they're going to do it to us again. They're going to break any news while we're recording. And it's like, nope, no mention of season two of Moon Knight being greenlit yet. Though we spoke on last week's show about uh, what Chris Miller said on stage at CinemaCon. He was bragging about how when, you know, the cast of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse was going to have the the biggest cast ever for a film that had been created for uh, Sony Animated Pictures. And over 240, and, you know, Aaron and I were like, well, God, how many Marvel characters can you put into this thing? And and Chris then, a day or so later, tweeted out that something to clarify. It's like, amid the universe hopping, there are 240 unique characters that had to be designed and modeled, but they're mostly minor or background characters. The scale of the movie is grand, but the story is personal. It centers on Miles and his family, along with Gwen and a handful of others. So just wanted to, to clarify and get that out there. 
But I have to say, on a day like today, where you get to see something that's as fun as episode six of Moon Knight, mm-hmm. and we are literally 24 hours away from these Thursday night preview screenings of uh, Multiverse of Madness. Do I need to uh, hit the klaxon? We're not going to reveal anything other than it's already gotten really decent reviews. In fact, right, you know, a lot of... Calm down, Tyler. You don't have to fast forward. I didn't hit it. All right, go okay. ahead, go ahead. But talking about how this is very much a Sam Raimi Marvel movie, and Ooh. not necessarily a Spider-Man Sam Raimi movie, but a only Sam Raimi does a certain type of horror movie. Well, I mean, you got that shot where the camera goes straight into Elizabeth Olsen's eye, and that's mm-hmm. like a classic Sam Raimi thing. Put the camera center, the the very, very center on the iris the pupil of the eye, and then shove it into their face until they <laughs> flinch away. Go, what are you doing, man? You actually run into my face with that. Like, I'm trying to get in close. I want to see into your soul. And <laughs> I, I have to say also, and again, this is not a spoiler. It's out there. A lot of the reviews talk about it's Doctor Strange's name that's in the title, but it's the Scarlet Witch that owns this movie. Elizabeth Olsen evidently is an amazing performance. It definitely builds on the whole, you know, the storyline of WandaVision. What? She does an amazing performance? That's never happened before. Only every time she's ever inhabited the character. But go ahead. Anyway. um, And Aaron and I will talk about this at length next week after we both gotten out to theaters to see uh, Multiverse of Madness. And we'll share what we think of the film and what's being said about the movie then. But for now, uh, if you're looking for entertaining stuff while you're waiting, uh, we do have some other podcasts here at uh, the Jamil Media Podcast Network. We have Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. We have Fine Tuning, which I do with Drew Taylor. And we have just revived Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gaughan. First episode's out there if you folks want to sample that. I know, Aaron, given your exchange with, with Mr. Nelson, that you know, you're on social media. Can you tell the nice folks where they can find you? Yeah, sure. Uh, on Twitter is the easiest place to find me. At Azaprod is uh, my handle. Is that is that the proper term, handle like a trucker? And uh, I, I believe so. If you yes. do follow me on Twitter, you'll find out. Sometimes uh, it's, it's not a good habit. I'm just trying to be honest that sometimes I, w- I will use a big word that I don't entirely understand, but I think it sounds, makes me sound more, more congenital. So there we go. Oh, uh, <laughs> all right. Social media wise, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill media and over on Facebook is Jim Hill media news. And I guess that's going to do it for this week's folks. So Thanks for listening, and Aaron and I will be back after we see Multiverse of Madness.